might have, you know, what uh, the thing with revival is it will touch so many people in so many different places. Sometimes it's hard to just connect where it came from. You know, uh, I think I think about the Brownsville revival and when that was going on. This past week, in fact, this Wednesday, a precious general of the Lord went to be with Jesus that I know. And uh, her and her little husband have a church in Shakota, Oklahoma. Um, who's heard of Shakota? You know, little bitty tiny place, man, you know. Um, not much going on at all. When I went there the first time and preached, I asked where folks work, and they said at the truck stop on the highway. That's, that's, that was, I think there's a little boat place. But during the Brownsville revival, people were going between Brownsville and Shakota. All of a sudden, just, I, I've shared this before, but I'll share this again. They had been praying and seeking God for revival and asking for a move. And they had an evangelist come in. And for about two weeks, they'd been having a revival and having a, having a move of God. But they, they needed direction. You know, there comes a point in revival where you have to say, okay, God, where do we go from here? Do we go on? Is this where you want us to hang our hats? Are we done what? And they were praying and saying, God, what do you want us to do from here? And um, Pastor Margie said, we need a sign. We need something to let us know we're not to stop here. We're, we're to keep going. And uh, it was a Friday night. Would have been the last night of the revival. And they had the prayer line. And now we're talking a small storefront church in Shakota, Oklahoma. And uh, they have uh, the building that night on the last night of this, what would be the last night. It was packed. Um, you know, when I say packed, you know, you get a small building. You know, packed can be anything from 50 to, to 150, right? Well, were, you know, the building was really full, but it's not a great big building or anything. They had people lined up in the altar. And Miss Margie was going through. Margie's about this tall, you know, and she, uh, she's a little stout lady, you know. And, uh, I mean, powerful woman preacher. I mean, just in a time when there was a lot of powerful women preachers like she preached. And she went through and she was praying for the people and she walks up to this little boy who was completely blind. And she leans down and she's praying for this little boy and she's, she, uh, you know, she, in her way, she prayed and asked God to heal this boy and, and uh, uh, went on to his mom. And they had a lot of miracles and Margie's seen gobs and gobs of miracles and went on to the mom. And uh, after a few minutes, the little boy leaned up and grabbed his mom by the shirt tail and started saying, Mama, Mama. Mama, and Margie's trying to pray for the mom, you know, and she's trying to receive, you know, and trying to get her faith built, and, and the little boy just kept pulling at his mom, and finally she said, excuse me, and she leaned down and looked at the little boy and said, son, I'm, mommy's getting prayed for, you already got prayed for, and tears were streaming down his, his little face, and he looked at his mom and said, but mama, I can see, and God opened up the eyes of that little blind boy, amen, and completely healed him that day. Needless to say, they broke out into three years of revival. Three years from that moment, three years of revival. And that was a direct spin off of the Brownsville revival. Now, if you don't know Miss Margie, you would never know that that happened. You wouldn't know that story at all. But, uh, but uh, that's, you'll never know the different people that revival will touch. And so, but she went to be with Jesus this week. You know, precious general of the Lord and lived a long time. So many souls saved. And uh, I was there here just uh, last year. We had two weeks of revival uh, there. You know, in today's society, two weeks is a long time. That's a mega revival these days, you know. I was just at a church in Shawnee, Oklahoma this past week. They have just come out of 18 months of revival. 18 months. They started off with, uh, they started off going Sunday through through Friday, every day, uh, taking Saturday off, and then pick them back up on Sunday. They did that for about nine months, and then they went to Monday through uh, Thursday, Sunday through Thursday, Monday through Thursday, because the gentleman that uh, was that was coming to the revival, that was the evangelist, actually pastored as well. And so I was talking with them and asking them about what had gone on, and they went through the cycles of revival, even after the revival had gone, you know, there were people that filtered in and out. And I asked about where this, uh, this, uh, the evangelist was now. He went to a cowboy church, I think in uh, southern Oklahoma now. He was there. He said when he walked on the property, he said, there is no way revival will ever break out here. They are in their ninth month of revival right there at a cowboy church out in the middle of nowhere. It's a country church. There's nowhere to shop. There's nowhere to eat after church. And people are coming from everywhere getting saved 
and healed and delivered by the power of God. Amen. So one of the things I love about, about uh, the river is coming in and the hunger and the, the emphasis on revival. Coming into this year, tonight I want to articulate a message to you that I really pray that I'll be able to share with you. I'm going to share some thoughts and ideas that I've not shared very much. When uh, Pastor Scott called me, God immediately took me to where I'm going to uh, go tonight and, and said, this is what he wanted me to share. And so I'm going to share something that might be a little, uh, little, little meat to chew on, if that's okay. Um, not, normal, not my normal vein of revival preaching, simply because I believe this is what, what God wants for this time. But coming into this year, the Lord was really dealing with me about prayer and fasting. And we believe in a culture of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, I believe it's nothing you, you just ever just do for a little while. It's something that you do. It's a lifestyle, a continuous lifestyle. Uh, prayer, you know, uh, we talk about praying continuously. We should have a continual prayer life. There should, we should always be praying. But don't, don't let, you know, conversation with God. I know there's a lot of talk about conversation with God, talking to him while we're driving down the road or, or we're going for walks. That's a good thing. But don't ever let that take away from a prayer time. Because uh, we have a culture that's saying that is your prayer time. That's not your prayer time. You know, and, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to challenge anybody or anything like that. I just want to uh, uh, sh share with you what the Lord told me coming into this year. That's not your prayer time. You need to have a time where God knows that you're praying. If you think about Daniel, when God wanted to meet Daniel, he knew where he would be three times a day, right? Morning, noon, and night. And when, when God showed up, and when he prayed, right? Uh, so much so that when they put him in a lion's den, God knew where to find him, right? Because he was so associated with him. And so uh, what, what uh, just my life, uh, every morning I pray. Now, the reason I pray in the mornings, I'm being honest, uh, if I'm at home and I get busy, I might not have time in that day to pray. Simple as that, you know. So I start my day with prayer. So at 5, 5.30 in the morning, I'm going to be praying and I'm going to spend at least an hour in prayer. Now, I'm going to go back into prayer later. I'm going to spend time in prayer. Uh, simply, I, I say these things not to build me up. I just want to give you some direction and some things. I know you have a culture of prayer here, but uh, maybe just for the sake of um, continuing on some things Pastor has said maybe in the past, uh, but it's very important that you have a time of prayer, but then again, a culture of prayer and also fasting. A lot of times we are in a time of fasting within the church body. People, you hear everybody's talking, everybody's doing Daniel fast, everybody's doing fasts. But then you'll hear about first of the year, but then you don't hear about it again in a lot of places. It, it just shuts down for whatever reason. And uh, it's okay. I'm not judging anyone, but it's very important to have a culture and a lifestyle of fasting. Um, you, can, you can fast lots of things. You know, I believe that some of the most powerful fasts that will, now, we know that not eating food is a powerful fast, right? But, uh, did you, you know, turning off your media is the most powerful fast I think you can go on today. Because if you can turn off your cell phone, Facebook, uh, turn off um, your television, even the news. You know, I watch the news every day for about five minutes, and then I get mad and turn it off. <laughs> That's, I'm serious. I really do. I, have, I just got to turn it off because it's just going to upset me. And so coming into this year, God really spoke to me about revival. And this is what he said. He said, keep revival in front of you. Keep it in front of you. The most successful thing, when, you, know, I, you know, I love the gifts. I love the gifts. I love the word of knowledge. My ministry has a strong word of knowledge gift, and we see a lot of word of knowledges that are just really detailed. And, but what I've learned is my word of knowledge is, operates the best when I keep it in front of me when I'm studying it, when I'm reading about it, when I'm listening to other people teach on it, when I keep it in front of me, it's the same with revival. It's the same with anything you do. Keep it in front of you. And I heard the Lord say, coming into this year, do not give up on revival. I heard that. I heard it strong because uh, with me, I was looking at the kingdom, I was looking at the church, and I see where there's a lot of struggles with revival right now. And there are pockets of revival. Revival in 2019 is not what it was in 1993. It's not. It's different in the church. Uh, people invite me in for revival. Their idea of revival is a day. Uh, their idea of revival is a couple services. And, and I'm not judging that. I'm just saying, but in 1993, revival was a week. 
Uh, sometimes if we go back into the 80s and the uh, 70s, it was two or three weeks or a month. That's what a revival was going to go. So revival has changed. But the spirit of revival is the same. And what we want is the spirit of revival. And I believe here in this house there is a spirit of revival. And that's very much different than just meetings that comes in. Because meetings will come and go. But when you have the spirit of revival, which I believe the spirit of revival is the Holy Ghost. I was telling Pastor that... Uh, when I came in, you know, and I was just sitting back and kind of listening and watching, I feel like something has shifted over this house. I feel like uh, since I was here in November, something is different. And I don't know how to put my finger on it. I don't know how to express it, but I really believe something has shifted. So when I was over here and I was praying, and uh, yet again, I shared this with Pastor, but, but uh, when I was praying, I felt like uh, maybe there was somebody, and, I, and don't, you don't have to identify right now or anything like that. Maybe there was somebody that had a bowel blockage um, because uh, I really felt like God had a healing for somebody in their bowels. But when I'm sitting over there, I'm thinking, you know, maybe what the Lord is saying is that there has been something that has been held up and has been blocking that has uh, come unblocked. So, so I really believe that God will do things in the natural that he'll parallel in the spirit. So later on in the service, I really like to pray for some people that's maybe having problems in their bowels. But I really feel that there's healing coming to some people tonight in that area. That's an unusual word for me. You know, that's not very often that I'll hear that, but I hear that really strong in my spirit. So I really believe God's going to do some healing for people in their stomach and in their bowels and in their colon and in their intestines. And uh, 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 th these are weird things for me to say. But gallbladder, I see something going on in the gallbladder and the pancreas. So these are, uh, these are unusual things for God to speak to me, but I believe God's healing people in that, that area right now. So if that's you, just go ahead and right now just receive it. Let God begin to do a work inside of you, and let God begin to do healing in you right now. If you'll turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 20, in verse 16, and let me, let me just share with you a little bit. While you're, while you're turning there, I want to talk to you about two very important words right now that, uh, that are in the... Uh, that are in my spirit, have been in my spirit since November of last year. But uh, the first one is kairos. Everybody knows what a kairos moment is, right? It's the right time, right? It's so important that we are, that we are in God's timing. Uh, it's so important. You know, I, I think about, you know, how I met Pastor Scott. And I, and I think about when he came and, and, and I was at Faith Chapel and Pastor Jeremy Mills was kind of a connector, and I remember that, and I remember him telling me about Pastor Scott, and was like, man, you got to meet him, and then we ended up getting connected. See, it was very important, the timing of that. That timing was very important. It was important for me. It was, uh, I believe it was important for my ministry. I believe it was important for us and what God was going to do even, even now in the future. Uh, timing is very important. But if I were to come to you and I would say, I'm going to meet you down here at Wells Fargo this afternoon at 3 o'clock, and uh, there's somebody there who's going to write us a check for a million dollars. What time are we supposed to be there? Yeah, you're going to remember that, right? There's something that's going to keep that fresh in your spirit. Am I right? And so what, what, what's going to happen is, is you're going to show up at 3 o'clock with the expectation of being blessed, right? But what if you showed up at Chase Bank? Now, you are at the right time, but you are at the wrong place. So, see, place is just as important as timing. Uh, so we have to recognize we've got to be both at the right place at the right time. So uh, well, you need to be at where at 3 o'clock? Some of you done missed it. You got to be at the right place at the right time. So we have a kairos, and then we have a topos, which is the right place. So you've got to be at the right place at the right time in order to get what God has for you. And so that's why it's so important that we come to, we come to church, we come to prayer, we go to our prayer time. Here, uh, uh, oh, I guess it was uh, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I'd been invited to come up to uh, a special service in Fayetteville that my pastor was preaching at. And so we went up there, a large church. Uh, there was uh, several hundred people there. Uh, they, had, um, uh, they, they had me come up and, of course, greet the people and things, you know. And I went back and I sat down, and uh, there was, we went on another night. Well, I had been on the road for a long time, pastor, and had just uh, really was tired 
I, I didn't want to come back the next night. And so my wife came to me and said, well, they've asked me to sing, so we're going to come back. This is an hour's drive for us, just one way. And so, um, again, I'd been on the road. I was tired. I didn't want to go. I, not that I wanted to be dishonoring or anything like that. I just, you know, just being real, I was tired and didn't want to go. And my wife said, well, uh, you know, we're, I'm going to go back tomorrow night. And I said, that's great. I really hope you have a good time. I did, you know. And she said, you're not going to go. And I said, no. You know, I've been to church. I've been in church for days. I'm, I'm tired. I've just come off the road. I said, I need to relax a little bit and, and get caught up on just some, just some rest and even some things in the office and things. And, and she got kind of quiet. And then I'm sitting there, and, the, and you know, it's kind of awkward at this moment. But then God starts messing with me, you know. I say, it's not right when God and your wife team up against you. It's not right, you know. So I've been sitting there for a few minutes, and all of a sudden I'm like, all right, I'll go. You know, and she laughed, and, and God laughed, and I laughed, and, you know, we had a great night. Um, so, uh, so, the next, uh, so the next night, we go to this meeting that I have no intention on going to. So, you know, at this point, you don't expect to enjoy it. I, I know y'all, you're all different. You all float up to heaven during the week, and uh, you get your little angel wings, and you play your harps, and, and you know, you got Kool-Aid coming out of your water faucet. Your dishes never get dirty, and your breath don't stink. But those of us who live in the real world, we deal with real challenges every day, Right. And so, you know, I really didn't have the right attitude about it. I had to repent about all of it, you know. And so my wife gets up and saying, and you know, and I was really glad that I went. But after service, a young man walks up, a young man, a, a pastor walks up to me, shakes my hand, hands me a card, and it was Pastor Rocky from the River Church up in Bentonville. And I made a connection that light, night that became a very important connection for me and my ministry. I was at the right place at the right time. See, it's very important that you are at the right place at the right time. Now, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not a political preacher, uh, but, I, but I believe in issues. Strongly believe in issues. But in today's culture, um, it's been very hard for the church to separate politics from morality. And uh, we've, we're living in this gray area right now, and so I, that's a prelude to what I'm about to share with you. Uh, I was just in a, in a, in a large meeting with uh, people from all over the world. I think there was five or 6,000 people there, and we were downtown Dallas, and uh, Paula White was one of the speakers, and I'm not, uh, she gets up and she starts sharing how the, they come to her with this little TV station in southern Florida, and uh, she says, I'm not interested in going on that network. It doesn't suit what we're doing. It's not the right area for us and all of these things. And so uh, she went to her prayer time and the Lord spoke to her and said, I want you to go on this channel. I want you to go on this channel. And she called up her buyer, her TV buyer, and said, we want you to go ahead and pick up this time. It really doesn't suit us, but uh, we really don't even have it in the budget, but I feel like the Lord wants us to buy this time. And so a few months later, she gets a call at her office from Donald Trump and said, I heard you preaching on vision, and I would like to meet with you. So he brought her into his office, and, of course, they built a relationship. And, and uh, you know, he, for some time she was a spiritual advisor and had a lot to do with his journey towards Christ. Now, I say that to share with you tonight that she was at the right place at the right time. It's very important that we are at the right place. Now, how are you at the right place at the right time? That's the thing. How do you discern being at the right place at the right time? Because this is where we wrestle. This is where we start fighting. This is where we think when on ourselves. Because this is where your flesh will go to war with your spirit. And your flesh will die on this hill. And if we're not careful, we can miss God because our flesh is so crying out, I don't want this or I want this, and that flesh will scream so loud to try and keep you from your moment, from being at the right place at the right time. So what you have to do is we have to align ourselves with God's presence. We have to align ourselves with his word, and we have got to constantly prepare for our season. And we will do that through, through, uh, uh, through prayer and fasting, and of course, by subduing our flesh. 
that simply not doing what we want to do, but doing what God wants us to do. And that will begin to align you with God's perfect will for your life. And so um, this, is, uh, this is what the Lord has been speaking to me for this year, coming into this year. God has been really dealing with me about time. Time. Because we have conditioned ourselves that we live from the day we are born until the day that we die, right? That's how we live. We live every day with that expectation. How many of you have looked at your mortgage and said, um, I've got a 30-year mortgage or I've got a 15-year mortgage and I've got to adjust that because of retirement or I have to adjust that because I want to get it paid off before this season of my life or you begin to look at financial planning, wise, doing wise things and you start thinking about retirement. You start thinking of a certain age. We all do that, right? Uh, you start looking at uh, insurance policies and nothing wrong with any of those things. But my, what I'm trying to express to you is that we have become so conditioned to live from, from uh, age 0 to 20, from 20 to 40, from 40 to 60, from 60 to death, that we have gotten at a place where we live and we are ruled by time. And we are. We all are ruled by time. But in heaven, there is no beginning, there is no end. God has no beginning, and God has no end. He is eternal. And the thing about you, you also have no end. When you die, your life is not over. And we don't think that way. Christians do not think, I was born, I lived my life, and then I'm going to go into eternity. No, we begin to think, I was born, and then I'm going to die. And I don't know really what Christians are thinking. I don't really know what's going to happen after that. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You are going to continue to live closer in the presence of God than you have ever lived before. I believe during worship tonight, I believe right here at the river, there is a taste of heaven that we get when we get in God's presence, when we get around him and we talk about revival and we talk about healings and miracles. That is a taste of heaven. That is a taste and see that the Lord is good moment. That is a, this is what it will be like when you're in eternity with God the Father and you can walk up to Jesus and wrap your arms around him and talk about how much you love him. But we have been conditioned to live from day one to the end. But we have to start thinking eternal. We have to start thinking like eternal beings. And I know people say, but we're not yet eternal beings. Yes, you are. Maybe you are going to shift your form. Maybe you're going to transition. But we've got to start thinking eternal. So how do we think eternal? we got to think i got to get as many people with me when I get into the kingdom of God as possible. Because if you, were, if, you, if you were building a church, which we are, you're building a church, your thinking is i got to get as many people in the, in the house of God as I possibly can. I want to do my part, right? We should think that way. Not because we're just building a church, we're building the kingdom. But we should think that way. Don't let the enemy come in and tell you, well, you don't want to build the house, you know, because, you, you know, you do want to build the house. We want to build this place. We want this place to be so full of people, we have to tear down walls. We want this place to be so full of people, what this house has, this city, this nation needs. And so we want to, so right, we want to do that. So what we want to do is we don't want to just think that we're building the house. We have to think that we are building the kingdom. That we have the unbelievable, unbelievable job of populating heaven. Because what was our decree here on earth? Go forth and multiply. As residents of the kingdom of God, we have the same mandate. Not to procreate as, as human beings, but to procreate as Christians. And see, we have a lack of mothers and fathers in the kingdom of God. And that's one of the things I really love about Pastor Scott uh, and, and, and Miss Sandy. I, I know that you guys have very much a motherly and a fatherly spirit. Man, it's just really awesome because you can feel the love of the father in this house. And so once again, we need mothers and fathers to train up men and women of God to go into the highways and go into the byways and populate the kingdom of God. But we've got to quit thinking in time. Because if the enemy has you in time, you will miss what God has for you.
Because he will have you thinking, I have, I have, from, I have a 40-hour week, and that, that's all I have to invest in anything. I have a couple hours on Sunday. That's all I have to invest. Or on Saturday night, that's all I have. But God don't want us to think like that. He wants us to think like him. And God thinks eternal. God thinks that there really is no beginning and there is no end. God thinks in eternity. And so tonight, that's what I want to challenge you to do, is think of an eternal situation. Start looking at your situation. See, some of you, don't let the enemy start telling you you're getting too old for something. Don't let him tell you you're too young for something. Start thinking eternal. Start thinking, I'm just getting started at this. I am going to do more for the kingdom of God in this season of my life than I ever have done before. Because the enemy will come in and tell you you are past your prime. You can't sing as good as you used to sing. You can't shout as much as you used to. You can't preach as good. You're not as smart. All these things. Things the enemy will begin to bombard you with but if you start if you start looking at the enemy in that moment and saying no I am like my heavenly father I am I am smarter now than I have ever been in my life I am wiser now than I have ever been in my life I have the potential to be more blessed I am wiser I am more full of God's presence than I ever been in my life right now it is amazing about your mind is a muscle but the enemy has made you believe that the older you get, the more you lose it. <laughs> and yet you're using it every single day. But the enemy wants you to think you're losing your minds. There are those of you tonight that are fighting mind battles. Simply because the enemy has lied to you and you have believed it. You know, we all, we all operate in seasons, right? But see, the Bible says there's coming a season where the seed goes in the ground and it comes up so fast that you can't keep up with the planting and the harvesting. He's painting you a picture of so much abundance in your life that time no longer matters. But we have been so trained to think in time. The church has been trained to think Jesus is born every Christmas and he dies every Easter. That's, that's how we think, right? God don't want us to, we need to change the way we think. I know this is a little bit different, and I know this is a challenge, and I'm going to get to something that, that I believe is a, a revelatory tonight. But first, let's start with the way that we think. Let's quit thinking. And this is what Jesus said when he was asked, how should we pray? He said, uh, ask as it is on earth as it is in heaven, right? In heaven is their time. So if we are asking, let it be on earth as it is in heaven, then we are asking that we are not, this is important, limited by time. That doesn't mean we, we go where we want, when we want, do what we want, when we want. We recognize time. And, and, and if church starts at 6 o'clock, we honor that, right? If it ends at 10 o'clock, we honor that. If I have to be at work at 7 o'clock, I honor that. But I, as a resident of heaven, as a resident of the kingdom of God, I no longer have the restraints of time. So what that means is it doesn't matter if you're 5 or you're 50. You have the physical you have the physical thought, physical fortitude as a person who is 20. Because you are not, you're, your body should not be deteriorating just because of age. Come on now. Look at Abraham. Look at Sarah. Here they are. What, you know, I, I don't know their exact age, but we'll say 90 and above. Having kids. Come on, somebody. Does that, act, does that sound like somebody who is limited by time? Or seasons. Because this is what we have done. We have, we have excused away what God wants to do in our life or even missing God by not being in the right place at the right time. And we will say things like, it just wasn't my season. It just wasn't my time. How many of you know, this? just hang, hang with me, we're going to get to this. It should always be your season. Always your season. 
It should always, we got to have a planning time. I get that. The uh, Bible tells us everything has a season. Your season is all the time as a resident of God's kingdom. So how is that? You have constantly in preparation for the right time and the right place. If you are constantly in preparation, I, uh, uh, I began to think about Rodney Howard Brown, and he goes to Madison Square Garden and holds, I don't know how, you know I mean, how long he was there for that revival. I mean, we're talking about how, how long, four weeks? Something, what are we talking about? $300,000 a day? Something like that, a day? And they have to believe for that? And so they have revival that breaks out and they go for what, four weeks? Something like that. I don't know the exact time frame. But here they are, God's doing a miracle. And all of a sudden, God speaks to them and said, I want you to go into the streets of New York. And they came up, I don't know if you guys use the script or, or uh, uh, the, the gospel script, their soul winning script. God gave them a compact version of the Romans Road and said, I want you to take this into the streets of New York and I want you to win people for me. And so they found their way down through downtown New York uh, New York City, and they land at the Twin Towers. Now, what's going to help me now? And all of a sudden, for these four weeks, they are out in front of these two big towers, declaring the goodness of God, winning people to Jesus every single day. And it just so happens that a few months later, we watch as the nation and the world watches as these two towers plummet to the earth. But it just happens that a lot of those people didn't show up to work that day. You want to know why? They bombarded the atmosphere with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They bombarded the atmosphere with prayer and fasting. They bombarded the atmosphere with winning souls. And when they did that, it did not matter what time or what season it was. It shifted everything in the spiritual plane that said God is going to take care of his people no matter if it's summer, if it's winter, if it's spring, or if it's fall, if it's a rainy season or a dry season or everybody around you is getting laid off or every job or business around you is being shut down you are supernaturally exempt because you have prepared for your season that's good preaching right there that's good holy ghost stuff right there it really is right place and right time how do we do that we make preparation quit letting the enemy make you think you're too old you're too young. You're anywhere in between. Don't let the enemy ever tell you that again. Don't let him make you think you missed your season for whatever reason. Because if you are preparing your season, how do you prepare? By prayer and fasting. You prepare by prayer and fasting. When I leave this, uh, when I left Arlington today, when I leave this meeting tonight, I'll be in Paris, Texas tomorrow, and I'll go home from there. And uh, my, next assignment, my next assignment is I'll be preaching in Fort Smith, Arkansas. That's just, just, that's just a couple miles down the road from me. And uh, I have to ask God, did I do everything I know to do? Did I do everything I, to win as many people as I could? To reach as many people as I possibly could? To make a kingdom event like this or a prophetic conference or a special service or whatever? as successful as possible to reach as many people with the love of Jesus and the gospel as I possibly can. And then I can't beat myself up because it didn't go like we think it should go. I know y'all go out, you, you guys still go out like tonight, you guys will go do some soul winning, right? You ever get discouraged when you don't win anybody to Jesus? I do. That bothers me. I remember one time I was downtown Cedar Falls. This was a... Uh, uh, Cedar Falls is a college town. It's a real upper crust town. A lot of professional people. And it has been my experience that these people have nothing to do with Jesus. It's been my experience, you know. And that was our day. We would go to people. They laughed at us. They spit on us. They mocked us. It was crazy. We went downtown one time, Cedar Falls, and uh, was watch, walking the college strip. And one of the young men we were with, a girl jumped on his back and bit him on the neck. Well, we were, I was demonic, you know. And, you know, we're in a real war here, you know. People hear us tell some of the stories we tell and, and laugh at some of our responses. It's because of that kind of stuff, how we respond the way we do. We were up there, and we had, it, was, it was a fruitless day. I mean, nobody was receiving anything, and I, it was hot, 
and we went and we got in our car and, and there was this lady out in front of her house with two little kids. And uh, we always carried little, little bags of toys and stuff to be a blessing to the kids when we, we saw parents who had kids. And usually we would go to Waterloo, we'd go downtown, and that area was always fruitful. We would always, there would be lots of people we'd be able to minister to and share the love of Jesus, and they were always receptive. It was just, but we felt like this is where we were that day. So I walked up to this precious lady. I said, hey, you know, I'm Pastor Benny, and, and uh, man, I pastor over at Calvary Christian Center, and just want to come, stop by here today and share the love of Jesus with you. And she looked at me, and she goes, I'm a believer. <laughs> I mean, she was almost like ugly about it. I'm a believer. You know, she was convincing herself. <laughs> and you know it right off, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I said, that's awesome. I said, where do you go to church at? She goes, I go to Celebration. I said, I know Pastor Don. He's one of my favorite, favorite men in the city. You've got a great church, good pastor. That's awesome. I said, you know Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. You died today. Do you know if you go to heaven or hell? I'm going to heaven. I said, that's awesome. I said, I want you to know, sis, what's your name? Julie. I said, Julie, I want you to know that God loves you, and he sent me by here today just to let you know how much he loved you. Now, it, that sounds real nice, right? It was an awkward exchange. I don't know why it was so awkward, I, you know, except there was just something not right. But I did my part, okay? I shared his love with her that day, gave her the opportunity for eternity, and, and I, did, I did my job, you know, and not that, not that, that that's cold or heartless or anything like that because that's not the heart of it, but I did everything I could do in the time that I had to share the love of Jesus. We left. I got in the car, and I mean, I, I felt horrible. I did. I felt weighted. Pastor, I felt heavy. I didn't feel good. You know, not that she did anything wrong. It was just the day. You know, am I the only one? That ever happened to anybody else when you're doing things for the kingdom? And so I've left churches. I felt the same way. I know the feeling, you know. Felt like, you know, you really want. But once again, when you're kingdom-minded, you got to think in seed time and in harvest. And in the kingdom of God, you know, you, you, put a, you put a seed in the ground in the natural, it could take weeks to come up, right? It could also come up overnight, just depending on the kind of seed. So a week later, my wife and I are walking downtown Cedar Falls, just walking down the street, going in stores and stuff, you know. And this big old white Dodge pickup truck goes flying by us, slams on her brakes, spins the truck into an alley in front of us, cuts us off, jumps out of the car and starts screaming, Pastor Biddy, we had gotten bit downtown Cedar Falls. I don't know where this is going. You know, and I'm like, babe, do you know who that is? And my wife says, I have no idea who that is. So we're trying to decide whether just to turn and run. You know, I know somebody out there saying, you should do warfare. You go ahead, you go do your warfare, you know. I'm deciding whether I'm going to turn and run or if this is something I need to face, you know. And so, <laughs> come on, I'm having fun. And so I'm trying to decide what I'm supposed to do in this moment. And all of a sudden, this young lady comes running towards me, yelling my name. And she looks at me and says, do you remember me? And all of a sudden it hits me and I said, you're Julie. And she said, yes. And she starts weeping. And she said, Pastor Benny, I lied to you. I said, you did? And she's, I mean, she's weeping uncontrollably. She said, yes, sir, I lied to you. I don't remember the last time I went to church of any kind. She said, what you don't know is I was in the living room right before you came up and talked to me. And I was on my face, crying out to God, saying, God, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You have forsaken me. And you come along and say these words. God sent me by your house to let you know that he loved you. And she's crying uncontrollably at this point. And so I looked at her and I said, man, that's, that's awesome. Sis, God loves you. Don't worry. You're not, you're not offended me. And she says, no, but I offended God. And I repented and I rededicated my life and gave my heart back to Jesus. Woo, come on, somebody. See, when you start thinking eternal, 
you start recognizing, I know today I planted a seed. I know today. Maybe I'm not seeing the harvest, but in your mind, you got to start connecting it with an eternal harvest. And you got to start saying, I know right now, I bet you have ministered to thousands of people on these streets. I can guarantee you there are a great number of them that went home and they meditated on what you said. And today they are at another church somewhere serving Jesus because of what you did. But the enemy don't want you to think that way. He wants you to think in time. He wants you to think in numbers. And he wants you to think like the world. But we are kingdom people. And we're thinking like kingdom people. And kingdom people don't think like that. We start thinking, I know today I spoke to somebody who is going to speak to somebody who's going to speak to somebody that's going to bring somebody to Jesus. See, we, we got to quit allowing time. We gotta, I got, I'm almost done. We got to quit allowing time. To dictate our lives. I want to I wanna go, I want you to go with me to the book of Judges, chapter, chapter 20. You're probably already there. I want to read to you just a little passage of scripture and um, share with you something very special I believe God's talked to me about. Lord, I just love you, Lord. Judges chapter 20, verse 16. Let, let, let's pray just real quick, okay? Can we do that? I want to I just ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, I just thank you for your presence in this house. God, I ask that you help me articulate what it is next that I'm going to share that will bring glory to your kingdom. I thank you for it, and I give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges 20.16 says, Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target with a hair's breadth without missing. Israel had 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords, not counting Benjamin's warriors. So um, Benjamin had 700 elite fighters. Somebody say special forces. Special forces. When I began to think of this scripture and I meditated on this scripture, I've also been at 1 Chronicles 12 and 2. If you're keeping notes, write this down. 1 Chronicles 12 and 2. It talks about the sons of Issachar that could discern the time and the season. And then I, I find myself in Judges chapter 20, verse 16. I've read the Bible through many times. I, I read it through at least once a year, usually a couple times a year or a time and a half. Just in my reading, I read it through every year. My, my, my Bible, my set-aside time for the Bible, I go through the Bible uh, once, or, once or twice or one and a half times a year. And uh, I've read the scripture many times. But I don't know that I've ever seen this before. Where the Bible said that Benjamin, now what's Benjamin? Benjamin is the son of my right hand. The hand of power and authority. Benjamin has 700 left-handed and each of them can, hang a, can sling a rock and hit a target with a hair's breadth without missing. They can, they can work on either side. They're skilled with either hand. It doesn't matter what. And when, when, I, when I saw this, this is what the Lord spoke to me. He says, I'm raising up a generation that can't miss. And I feel this so strong in my, in my spirit, Pastor. God's raising up a generation that can't miss. But so many of us, we're expecting to miss. And when we throw the rock or we let the arrow go, instantly we think, well, I'm doomed to miss it. Because my dad missed it. My mom missed it. I was raised in poverty. My parents was raised in failures. And, and I've messed up. And I'm just going to follow that same path. You don't have to follow that path. Don't let past mistakes, don't let your family dictate your future. We need to be a generation that rise up and say that I'm skilled in my right hand and I'm skilled in my left hand. And God's raising me up to be a man, a woman of God that can't miss. And the Bible said they were so accurate that they could hit something within a hair's breadth. So accurate that from a distance they could see a hair and they could... They could hit it, and they could come at it from either direction, from the right side or the left side. If they got their right side wounded, they'd just go to the other side. If they got their left side wounded, they could just go to the other side, and they can fight. They're elite forces. And I began to think about elite forces, and I can't help but think about this house when I hear the words special forces. 
Because the special, uh, you know, I'm just going to talk to you for a minute. Because special forces aren't the biggest group in the army. Ain't nobody going to help me. But they are definitely the most powerful. My God, somebody get a hold of this today. They are the people when there is a special mission that nobody else can get into. That's the folks that they look at and say, we want to slip you in. We can't get everybody in there to get bin Laden, but we're going to slip some special forces in. We can't get everybody in there to get Saddam Hussein, but we're going to split, so we're going to send some special forces in. We can't get everybody to go out there and get somebody who has been possessed or up or bound by Satanism or bound by addiction. We can't get everybody, but we can slip one of you. Ain't nobody gonna help me today. We can get one of you who have learned to get on your face before God, who have learned to pray and to fast, have learned to not look at time like the rest of the world does and know that God has called you to be somebody who is elite. And if we, if we just jump over, you don't have to, we jump over to the third chapter of Judges. There's a young man named Ehud that God raised up. And he was a left-handed man in a right-handed generation. <laughs> he was a left-handed man who, who knew how to work a sword with his left hand when everybody else in his generation knew how to operate with the right hand. But it just so happened that God was orchestrating that from the day that he was born. My God. Some of you, you are different in the body. Some of you, your skills, your talents, your abilities, the church that you attend, the people that you are connected to. I think I, I, think I just got it. Everybody connected to you, you're different. I just, I don't know. It's, you're different, but it's okay because God wants to utilize your special abilities for the kingdom of God. And of course, we know that they devised a plan to kill an evil king. And the, who did they go to? The one man that could slip in when nobody else could. They looked for a left-handed man. And so I began to think about these scriptures and then I went back and I started reading in the 19th chapter of Judges. And I started reading the rest of the 20th chapter of Judges. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm thinking, God, I said, I recognize the parallels to everything I have said. Everything I've said about elite forces and special forces, these are God's people that he trained up for a specific time in a specific season. That's you. God has raised you up for a special time in a special season. And that is now. That is now. God has set aside a miraculous blessing for you. And that time for that blessing is right now. God has set you up for promotion and growth and increase. And the time for all of that is right now. But I began to look at that. And I began to look and I began to study about a Levite. Who had a concubine who made his way through Israel one day. And he found himself in the outskirts of a tribe named Benjamin son of my right hand, son of authority and favor and power who had 700 elite fighters. Come on, somebody. Who could fight when nobody else could fight. They didn't get tired. They didn't wear down. And he found his way in and somebody found him leaning up against a, leaning up against a wall in the downtown area. And they walked up to him and said, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm traveling and I'm weary. And he said, come to my house. Let me take you in. And so they come in and they take him into his house. We're talking God's people. Now, if, if you read the history of this, and we, I can't get into all the logistics of it for the sake of time, but this area was an ungodly group of people. This was, they were, they were, a, they were a, the, the only way I know, they were, there was a, they were a type of, of savages that were very much like Sodom and Gomorrah. But they were still in the camp of God's people. You've got to be careful what we let in to our camp. We've got to be careful the people that we associate ourselves with. And they go into this home, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And they cry, bring us out this Levite. Let us have sex with him. 
That's what they wanted. They wanted to rape this man. And so the, the host said, no, this can't be done. So I believe that you, you can go back and read this for yourself, that he sent out a virgin daughter and he offered them all of these things, but he ended up sending out his concubine, one of his wives. And they took this woman and they raped her until she died. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about a generation that knows how to speak in tongues. A generation that knows how to, how to pray. We've got so much Bible in the church today that uh, uh, 50 years ago they never dreamed of the revelation that we would be walking in today. And the, all of a sudden Israel comes in and Israel finds out the Bible says that this Levite literally chopped her up into 12 pieces and sent her throughout the nation to let everybody what was done under the flag of the right-handed, favored, anointed people of God. Preacher, where are you going with this? Hold on. Just hold on. And the word says that Israel came and told Benjamin, you have done wrong. We need to make this right. And Benjamin refused. There was something in that generation that looked at what was done to this woman and somebody said, this is okay. Pastor, there was something in that generation of God's people. These are, been, these are Jewish people, Hebrew people, selected, anointed. God has kissed that people. And amongst that people, now I, I get that they weren't Hebrews, that these people were some sort of outcast. I get all of that. But they allowed them to camp close enough that they befriended them in such a way they looked at their wrongs and said their wrongs are justifiable. And so Israel said, you've got to fix this. And Benjamin said, we refuse. And so Israel said, then we're going to fight. There are, there are causes that are worth fighting for. There are causes in this nation. And we got to quit making everything political. We have got to teach the church there are some morality issues that we have got to separate from where we agree and disagree politically. And if we can't do that, we're going to miss a move of God that can shake not just a nation, but a world. Right now, 5 million abortions have taken place since January 1st of this year. And there is a group of people that have stepped back and they have said, there is nothing wrong with this. If you're under the sound of my voice right now and you have ever walked through that, I want you to know that Jesus loves you too. And that he, he, he can forgive you. And if you've repented, that, that sin's away from you. That's not on you. You've repented, he's, God has forgiven you and, and you, can, you can move forward, okay? That's very important for us to, to recognize that Jesus forgives all sin, right? And some people do things in, because they were pressured into it or because of ignorance or whatever. I get that. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. If you've ever been through that, he loves you. And he's forgiven you if you've asked for repentance. And you can grow on and be the best Christian that you can be. The best person you can ever be. But I want to address the idea in a nation under a flag that represents the kingdom of God, can look and say, this is okay. Because that's what Benjamin did. Same thing. There was something in that tribe that said the perversion, where it's okay for us to go against the word of God in any way, fashion, or form. We can sleep with who we want to sleep with. We can live together and unmarried. We can do whatever we want to do, and it's all okay. But there was somebody who rose up and said, you might have an elite force. Come on, somebody. You might have 700 elite troops that can take us out, but this is worth fighting for. We might become unpopular. People might look at us funny or talk about us or alienate us. They don't invite us to go play golf or go down and get lunch. And they don't invite us to the ministerial alliance meetings, but we don't care because we're a part of the kingdom of God. We are not held captive by the opinions of men, but we stand boldly declaring the way that we should go is narrow. 
And the word says, we're going to fight over this one. There needs to be a church that will rise up and begin to cry, we're going to fight over this one. We've let this slide, and we've let this slide, and we've let this slide, but we are going to die on this hill. And the Bible says that there were 700 elite forces that began to war against Israel. If you read the Bible, they slaughtered Israel left and right. Israel went to God and said, God, shall we fight? And God said, fight. There, are, there is a cause that God will have you fight over. There is a cause. David said, is there not a cause? And so the word says, yes, we want you to fight. And so they stood and Israel said, who do you want us to send to battle? Benjamin has 700 of the most dangerous people on the planet. Today, Israeli special forces are some of the most dangerous people in the world. 700 men that can kill you almost by simply looking at you. And Israel said, who do we send to fight? Pastor, God looked at him. And he didn't say arrange your own special forces. He didn't say, I want you to take a pole and see which way the wind blows. He said, I want you to go down and get Judah. I want you to go down and find me a bunch of praisers. Find me a bunch of folks that know how to work the shofar and know how to make some noise. I want you to send them out into battle because if you'll do that, I'm going to give you the victory. I do not care what the political climate is. I don't care what the social climate is. God is looking for a generation of praisers that will rise up for such a time as this and say, I've come to war. I didn't bring a sword. I didn't bring a shield, but I brought my praise. Woo! This is good stuff tonight, I'm telling you. I feel the glory of God. And the word says, they sent forth the praisers. The praisers. The Bible says, uh, for the sake of time, I won't go into this, but the Bible says they had 700 elite forces. But when they got through the praisers, the Bible says Israel had some 40,000 elite soldiers. That at the end of the day, Israel lost some battles that day. In fact, they fought for three days. And it took three days for them to get their victory. But the moment that God said, send in the praisers, they began to move towards victory. Right now, your greatest, your greatest victory is going to come when you praise. Your greatest victory will come not from crying. See, we're, we're, we're preparing for our season. Complaining won't prepare your season. Crying won't prepare your season. Talking about it to everybody you can come, up, come, up, come across isn't going to change your season, isn't going to prepare your season. But when you start praising, when you start glorifying, I am God. I can't help. I immediately go to the jail cell where Paul and Silas are. They were in darkness. It was dark in there. Because the Bible says that when the jailer comes to the door, he says, somebody bring me a light. Come on, somebody. Hey, I want to see what's going on in there. And the Bible says as they praised God and as they worshiped God, the Bible says that the other, the other people in the prison also began to praise and to worship God. The thing about praise, it's contagious. When you start doing it, you'll find it changing the atmosphere everywhere you go and it will align you for the right place at the right time. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to be done. Uh, if somebody can come to the piano or... I don't know what we do at this time. I don't know if you want to come to the piano or put on a CD. Whatever, whatever you want, whatever you do. I, uh, I needed God to move for me. I needed a miracle. And uh, 
it was, uh, it was probably three o'clock in the morning. I was praying, not not complaining or belly aching, but I just went before God. Y'all enjoying this tonight? You get something out of this? <clears throat> I wasn't belly aching or I was just saying, God, I need you to move for me. Three major times in my life this has happened. One time I had a visitation from the Lord in the dream. I, I, uh, I don't know if I've shared that. I'll maybe another time. But this time, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm crying out to God, God, I need you to move. Sis, God speaks to my spirit and said, if you'll praise me, I'll move for you. If you'll praise me. I'm thinking, God, I praise you all the time. I have a lifestyle of praise, Lord. I, I, I endeavor. I get up in the morning and I pray. You know, I try to listen to the word of God throughout the day, whether it's ministers that move my spirit or listening to the uh, listening to, uh, to songs of praise and worship. I mean, I try to bombard my life with God's presence. You know, I do other stuff too. You know, I don't live in a box. I'm just saying I try, I endeavor to live in a realm of glory. And the Lord speaks to me and says, if you'll praise me, I'll move. So I sat up on the side of the bed at the time. I had this big chocolate lab. He went to, he went to be with Jesus not long ago. And, uh, you know, somebody said, well, dogs don't, they're not, this one is. I don't know about your dog, you know, maybe, maybe Fido didn't go to be with Jesus. Maybe, maybe your dog went to hell. Mine's not going to. He is a good dog. My, uh, I sat up on the side of my bed. Many times that dog's prayed me through. I just, just a little side note. I believe God shares his love with you through different people. Lester Sumrall always said, the way you treat the elderly, little kids and animals is a reflection of the character that you have. And I believe that. And I believe God will find a way to show his love to you through one of those three avenues. And I'll never forget, I was praying, I needed, I needed to hear from God. And a little old man, he was riddled with Alzheimer's. He walked up to me and he whispered in my ear these words. He says, God has got an awesome plan for your life. And he walked away. And I stood there weeping in God's presence because I knew God had spoken to me. Some people would just dismiss that, not me. But my, my big old lab, I was sick one time. You know, and I don't get sick very often, but I'm a healthy guy. And uh, I was sick for a couple days. I was held up in the basement of my house. That big old chocolate lab pastor laid there at my feet and would not leave me. He did not eat. He didn't go out. He laid there until I was better. I sat up at the side of my bed, and that dog jumped up and looked at me. What are we doing? <laughs> we going out? I'm ready. You know, he was about 14 years old. He had a white beard at that time. You know, he looked majestic. He looked at me. He's like, where are we going? We're going, what's happening? And I thought, oh, I'm going to have this dog all worked up if I get up and start pacing the bedroom. My wife waits, what are you doing, baby? I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just want to praise God for a minute, you know. You know, the kids are knocking at the door. Dad, you okay? So, uh, so I, I said, all right, God, we got to make an arrangement here because right now is not the right time. And I recognized that. It really was. It wasn't the right time. And uh, I knew by 9 o'clock the house would be empty. Kids would be at school. My wife was going to the church that day. And this is just a couple years ago. She was going to go to the church there in Fort Smith and was doing some things. And I would have the house to myself. So 9 o'clock, my wife, she kissed me goodbye. And, and I went back to our bedroom. And I started praising God. We've got a pretty large bedroom, you know, from our bathroom to the other side of our walls, probably as big as this room, almost. A real large bedroom. You can get a good run from one end to the other. And I, I, I did. Man, I ran back and forth. I jumped. I did cartwheels, though. I didn't do cartwheels. But, you know, if I could have, I would have, Pastor. I'm telling you, I would have. I jumped. I shouted. I got on the bed and spun the ceiling. I did that. I kicked the walls. You know, and I, 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 every, I made as much noise. I screamed. I yelled. I praised God because Benny Baker, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it right. So I walked out of that room. I was exhausted. Pastor, I had one thought on my mind. If I go get me some coffee, I'm going to get myself energized. And I'm going to start again. You know, I opened up that bedroom door and I could smell the coffee. You know, it just, it just it beckoned me. So come get a cup. I'm walking down the hall. And all of a sudden, my daughter's bedroom door opens up. I don't know why she was not at school that day, but she wasn't. She opens up the door and she said, Dad, what is going on back there? 
And I, I you know, I was caught, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't, it's not that I was embarrassed, I was so off guard that she was home, you know. But I'm glad I didn't know, because I'd have toned it down if I had. I really would have. I was glad to know that, that and I, she said, Dad, what in the world is going on back there? And I said, baby, I'm getting my praise on. And she goes, shuts the door. <laughs> Went and got some coffee and rested. I mean, I was exhausted. I was on the ground. I, was, I, I gave it everything I had. I, I, I went, got a cup of coffee, went back to it, and started all over again. Uh, the True story, two weeks later, two weeks later, my, uh, I walk in the front door, and I hear somebody in their bedroom kicking the walls and screaming and yelling. And I come walking down the hall. Now, now, I walk down the hall, and my daughter, she opens up her bedroom door. And she looked at me, it's my son, Benjamin. And he, she looks at me and she says, Dad, whatever you were doing last week, Ben is doing this week. And she shut the door. <laughs> you know, her, you know, has to say, I don't need both of you acting a nut, you know. God sent in the praisers. I got my breakthrough. I got my breakthrough that weekend. I got my breakthrough. I heard from heaven. Benjamin, he told me what was going on. I told him, I said, son, I said, you're going to have to praise through this. And he did. He came to me when he got his victory and said, dad, this is what God did for me. He got his victory. Some of you, you're going to have to praise. You're going to have to praise your way through this. This is what people will say. It's not my personality. That's a lie from the pits of hell. We we say this stuff. We're making excuses. Listen, I love you. If you said that, I'm sorry. Don't be mad at me. Take it up with the Holy Ghost. But, uh, but if we dismiss things by saying it's just not my personality, then you need to recognize because I see folks at football games acting a fool. I have never seen anybody at their, at their cubicle, at their desk, with their shirt off and a cowboy's written across their belly. But you go down to a football game, you're going to see that. Well, I'm sorry to give you that visual, but it's just true. And, and people will say, that's not my personality. Well, you need to wreck. When it comes to praise, it is. Because praise is an action word. You cannot praise and be quiet. It doesn't happen. Now, you might not be as exuberant of me or, or, or Miss Sandy. You know, you might you know, get as radical as us, you know, but that's okay. But you can get your kind of radical. You know, but I'm telling you, when you are home alone, you can get as crazy as you want. But my advice is, check the other rooms. Because you never know who's going to be listening. You know, stand up on your feet today. You enjoy this today? Pastor, you have a CD of this message?